Thank you for joining us for another conversation here on the Free to Love podcast, where we explore the healing journey, transforming our pain into peace and discovering a life marked by freedom rather than fear. In our conversation last week, we spent some time exploring the four primary coping mechanisms that we default to when our body of pain is activated. Three of those four, blame, control, and escape, are much easier for us to identify and to develop healthy, intentional new actions to move towards a new way of being. They're easier to spot because they're more external. Shame, however, is much more difficult to spot. While its initial genesis in our story may have come from an outside force, such as a parent, society, or religious community, shame is quickly internalized. Without knowing it, we come to believe the lies it whispers about who we are. Broken. Defective. Incapable of change. Shame is a universal human experience. It transcends cultures, religions, and value systems. And central to shame's message is the lie that we are alone in our experiences and a victim to our fears. Because of shame's ubiquity, we are paying special attention to it this week, honing in on it, seeking to name the ways it shows up, and proposing some strategies for how to cultivate shame resilience. Crucial to the work of countering the power of shame is this, remembering that empathy creates a hostile environment for shame. It withers it and opens a door back to connection, communion, and peace. So friends, I hope that this week's conversation on shame is an encouraging one and an empowering one. It gives you new eyes to see your loved ones when they are wrestling with shame and a new kindness and compassion to extend towards yourself when you catch uh, that voice of shame whispering to you that you are not enough that you are alone, and that there's no hope. The truth is, is that there is an abundance of hope, and I'm excited to share this conversation with you this week. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Free to Love. As always, I'm here with my friends and co-hosts here, Jeff Rinke and the incomparable Jennifer Jennifer All. <laughs> Big amen to that. Yeah. Thanks, and uh, today we are diving into everybody's favorite topic, mm-hmm. shame. Oh, yes. oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> you sound excited. <laughs> I'm sure everybody is jumping up and down and this is exactly what mm-hmm. they want to be doing is uh, listening to us unpack shame and share some of our shame mm-hmm. stories. Uh, but I, I genuinely am excited about this as I am each time I get to mm-hmm. sit down and, and talk with you guys. God always shows up in amazing ways when we get together and, and reflect. Mm. So I want us to start by trying to define shame. And Jenna, I was wondering if you could offer us kind of the uh, classic distinction um, between what shame is and what it isn't. Sure. Well, shame would be, we think of shame as an intensely painful feeling or experience that comes from a message inside of us that says that we are unworthy, mm. that we have failed in some way, yeah. that we um, don't measure up. Um, 
there's something, it's shame tells us that there's something about us or something that we have done or have not done or something that we have, we are not, um, that makes us unworthy, um, and unlovable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So shame, yeah. um, is a, a, an important distinction is between shame and guilt. Cause I think people often confuse those two things. Mm-hmm. So shame, I think we're going to talk about this a little bit more. Shame is really focused on the self. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas guilt is focused on behavior. Mm-hmm. So shame internalizes a message about the self. You mess up. Shame says I am bad. It's an identity thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas guilt um, is able to look at it as more external. Guilt is able to say, like, oh, I messed up, I made a mistake. Yeah. Guilt says, I did something bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the Bible talks a lot about guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the distinction is important there because um, guilt can be very helpful for us in our growth. Guilt can convict us when we've done something unkind, something sinful. Guilt is that, you know, that spirit inside that says, dang, that was not good. That mm-hmm. was not honoring. Guilt um, helps us look at what we've done um, and compared to where we can go, where we want to go, our values. And um, guilt can inspire us to actually change in a positive way. Whereas shame does none of those things. Mm. Shame just weighs on us, buries us, and um, does not inspire growth or change. Shame buries us. Mm, yeah. Let me see if I can try and reflect back some of what I've heard. So guilt is associated with the behavior. I have done something bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It represents a violation of conscience. We experience a sense of conviction. And it can be healthy and positive because it is it describes for us, if we pay attention to it, a pathway out of behavior that is destructive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas shame is a dead end. Shame, it doesn't offer a hopeful exit because ultimately it's focused in on self and says, I am bad. Not I have mm-hmm. done something bad, but fundamentally I am bad. There's mm-hmm. something wrong with me and I am unworthy of love. Yes. Yes, which drives us away from others. Mm. It drives us further into isolation. Mm. Uh, it continues, it perpetuates more of those really unhealthy, toxic mm-hmm. messages within ourselves. Um, so it's very destructive. Yeah. So I've got a question for us. Okay, so that's kind of a classic definition or distinction between guilt and shame. Um, is one thing I like for us to try and do in this podcast is to say, hey, is the way that modern culture that probably most of us um, and most of our listeners are connected to, is the way that they use and understand shame different from how we would like people to understand and use a concept of shame? Uh, so I'd love for us to kind of unpack that. Like, what do you guys think? Yeah. Actually, I know, Jen, we had this discussion uh, just before we launched into the podcast. And I think you brought up the point that the, the biggest distinction between a Christian worldview of what shame is as opposed to a secular worldview of shame is the spiritual component, that there's, mm-hmm. a, there's another dimension of the unseen world. There are unseen evil forces mm-hmm. that have been plaguing mankind since the beginning of time. 
And so that that is, I think, fundamentally creates a completely different understanding and perspective of what shame is. Mm-hmm. So what I what I understand as a counselor, pastoral counselor, is the difference between how you deal with shame is completely different. And my experience is that historically, unfortunately, the the church has used shame to change our behavior. Mm-hmm. So toxic, the sense of using shame as a negative, bad thing mm-hmm. that that they use in order that it can be used in order to bring about change, which does not work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shame is like a corrective device. It's a corrective device. Mm-hmm. The ruler that slaps across the desk. That's right, mm-hmm. it, and it's and it really is. It, it collaborates with the internal taskmaster of our own sense of mm-hmm. of self rejection that mm-hmm. we just buys into that, which we know the Bible talks about. It's part of the curse, so it's feeding into the curse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the world perspective, the secular perspective, is is the solution is shamelessness. You shouldn't have to feel shame. So in other words, so um, you shouldn't feel bad, whatever you're doing, whatever your sexual expression is, whatever your identity is, hey, that's cool. We need to, we need to just get rid of the shame mm-hmm. so that you can just be who you are. And of course, I, you know, so I, I think those are huge distinctions. Yeah. The world kind of looks at shame and says, oh, it's rooted in low self-esteem. So let's just build up your self-esteem. That's so good. you don't yeah. have shame anymore. Yeah. But we're talking about shame as it is founded in a different place. It's fueled by a different place. It's fueled by a lie. And the mm-hmm. spiritual component that um, I often attribute it to is it's it feels like the voice of the enemy mm-hmm. just whispering in your ear. Mm-hmm. And that might be a distinction that's that's more of a Christian the way we're looking at it, um, because I think we are all influenced by different voices, right? Mm-hmm. We have our own voice, our own little narrative in our own minds, Jen's consciousness. Um, but I also have my mom's voice on occasion yeah. that I hear when I'm shopping in the grocery store, buy more veggies, right? Um, I also hear, um, yeah, so we've got different voices. I have the voice of the Holy Spirit also talking to me, mm-hmm. but there is this nasty voice of the enemy and he likes to take some, some of my personal thoughts and he will amplify them. He will twist them. He will pervert them. Um, and to make them these very toxic, very dark, you really are worthless. Mm-hmm. You really don't matter. No one would notice if you're gone. These kinds of statements that that's, that's where I, I attribute there is a spiritual component to mm-hmm. shame. Yeah. The, the element of spiritual warfare there. Quick, quick personal story. I, that, what you just said, hey, there's multiple voices of shame. There's our own internal voice. Mm-hmm. Then there's the external voices of others. So that would be family, you know, family of origin voices or coaches or anything like that, or, or culture mm-hmm. in society in general. Um, so there's a social element to that. There's a familial element to it. There's a personal element to it. And then you're saying, in accordance with the Christian worldview, then, then there's also this spiritual element, which is we believe that, you know, there's there's malevolent evil forces, mm-hmm. you know, personified in scripture by Satan or the accuser um, and his hosts of, of dark angels, for lack of a better term. Yeah. And uh, that's the fourth kind of source mm-hmm. or voice that we have to contend with. And if we don't acknowledge that as a 
an element to this, then we're we're only going to get so far in how we can heal mm. from or manage shame. Mm. And I mm. think tying and also tying it into our culture today is, I think we're seeing uh, this more intense pervasiveness. What I would describe as a shame based culture. Mm. Um, that a lot of what we're experiencing in the divisiveness, um, the polarization, which is being manifested in rage and blame, um, I really believe it does have its root. The roots of, of what we're seeing in our culture comes from our own individual pathology of shame. Mm. So it comes out of our own personal woundedness, um, and out of our own areas of our lives of unhealed, um, unhealed shame, which comes from unhealed wounds of our past. Yeah, no, that's that's great, uh, Jeff. And before we go any further, one, when we're trying to just you know this last bit, we've been trying to draw a distinction between a scriptural or a Christian perspective on shame and what we see happening in secular culture. And, um, Jeff, you said that the primary use historically of shame in the church has been to try and modify people's behavior. Mm-hmm. It's just negative reinforcement. And I take it even a, a step further than that and say that it is, uh, shame, not just in the church, but I think maybe we, maybe we perfected it, um, <laughs> or we're no, sadly most known for it, but it's a mechanism of control, not just behavior mm-hmm. modification, but, but control. And, and we've seen that in mm. a lot of the church sexual abuse scandals yes. or whatnot. It's uh, the thing that's so, so anti-gospel, anti-Christ mm-hmm. about yeah. it is that, um, well, shame has been used in all of these circumstances to control and to silence mm-hmm. victims. Yeah. And that's what shame across, cross-culturally, yeah. right? You said, James, uh, you, you talked about a shame-based culture and you're seeing that emerge more and more mm-hmm. in the U.S., our context. Uh-huh. But obviously there's, there's plenty globally. There's plenty oh, yeah. of mm-hmm. uh, shame-based cultures. You know, shame is yeah, very powerful. Exactly. It's a very effective tool right. of yeah. control and of behavior modification. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something that's interesting that I think we need to name before we move further is that there's been this strange reversal that's happened. Right. So historically, we associate shame with religion and morality the most. Okay. So our tribe uses it. Mm. Um, and then you named correctly, Jeff, that say. In the U.S., 1960s, the Cultural Revolution, the Sexual Revolution, um, there's this reaction to that, to the religiosity of it, and so it says, well, actually, let's embrace shamelessness. Let's flaunt. Let's revel in it. There is no such thing as it. The things that have been said are taboo and shameful. No, now you should actually display those proudly, right? So mm-hmm. there's this been this reversal that's that right. trying to say there is shame is this thing that the religious nuts made up mm-hmm. and it's, it's not real and you don't have to live under it. Well, there's problems with that. Brene Brown's de- documented that well in a lot of her, mm-hmm. her research. Shame is a human universal experience. So it doesn't matter. Everybody experiences that that's across religions, across mm-hmm. cultures. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so we didn't invent it. Uh, we just used it as a particular tool. What's going on right now. That's very interesting is that secular culture both on the left and the right, in, in our, they have are now weaponizing shame. That's right, right, and they're yeah. it's 
it's functioning the exact same way that we did for for oh. eons inside of the church mm-hmm. and saying like on the one hand they're saying no 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 um shame isn't real and you can't put that on me and on the same in the same breath uh, or in the other hand they're shame then using on you. yeah shame on you yeah right so yeah. we can't escape it the point exactly. of saying all of that is yeah. we cannot escape shame it's something that each of us has to contend with yeah. at a personal level and at a cultural level so let's mm-hmm. uh let's let's dive into shame a little bit deeper shall we and jeff um you have been working on writing a book badly broken and deeply loved mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. It'll be coming out soon, and once it's out, we'll put in the show notes where people can pick that up. But you worked on a definition of shame that I'd love for you to share with us, an acronym, and yeah. then we can maybe use that as a, a springboard can, to further discussion. Oh, that'd be great. Yes, yeah, so what I, I've come up with is the acronym of SHAME, uh, which I, I'm describing as like five primary characteristics of what shame is. Um, which at the essence of shame is the blockage, it's the hindrance to our own spiritual, emotional, and relational well-being. So mm. as we're talking about our podcast title is free to, is free to love, is this is the, I, I believe the curse of mankind mm. that is universal is primarily being expressed and manifested and vomited on us mm. through the curse. Mm. So this is, we all encounter this. So the, uh, the five characteristics of shame is, first is S, is what I describe as self-attack. And, and I'll just go through this and we can, we can yeah. Yeah. revisit these. So uh, self, S is self-attack, or I would describe as self-contempt. Mm-hmm. Um, the H is the hemorrhaging of the soul. Mm. A is anticipate, anticipation of being caught. Yeah. M is shame is multi-generational. And then E is the emotional paralysis that shame causes us. Mm. Yeah. So if you want to go back, we can um, discuss the whole concept, which I believe is at the root of shame, the core belief system, and you just alluded to that, Jennifer, mm-hmm. the core belief system of how do we think and believe about ourselves is really self-contempt or self-rejection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's this, uh, Henry Nowen has this powerful quote. Um, I'm reading this from Brennan Manning's incomparable book, Abba's Child. If you have mm-hmm. not read it, go pick it up. Read it, it'll change your life. Uh, but he quotes Henry Nowen, who says this, Over the years, I have come to realize that the greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. Success, popularity, and power can indeed present a great temptation, but their seductive quality often comes from the way that we are part of the much larger, they are part of the much larger temptation to self-rejection. When we have come to believe in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. Mm -hmm. The real trap, however, is self-rejection. As soon as someone accuses me or criticizes me, as soon as I am rejected, left alone, or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, 
That proves once again that I am a nobody. My dark side says, I am no good. I deserve to be pushed aside, forgotten, rejected, and abandoned. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Mm. Being beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. Wow. That's so good. That's That's right on. (laughs) Yeah. Well said. Henry. Henry Nowen. (laughs) A lot there. Yeah. And I think um, we can all relate, and I, uh, this is the reality of humanity, is we're not alone in this. Um, in understanding the, the restoration model of the pain and peace cycle is that uh, I know that's one of my core beliefs and one of the core lies, which is attached to my emotional life, is that I'm defective, that there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that can be... I can unpack that in my own personal story of growing up when did i start when did i start believe, feeling that that i'm um rejected or uh i don't matter or i'm not good enough or um i'm defective is i i can recall back and understanding my own story of when i was you know 12 years old that that reality from a a little personal trauma which i've discussed in the past mm-hmm. is where i begin to hear that in my head, mm-hmm. and then I begin to believe it, and it took root into my soul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then shame is that nasty little voice that keeps ruminating right. on that false belief, that lie that entered in, mm-hmm. that you don't matter, or whatever your core root, core belief, that false, terrible lie is, uh, shame is just that nasty little thing that keeps it on repeat yeah. in your mind, in your soul. I like how when you were saying that you were moving your finger in a circle, <laughs> rumination, that that fruitless circle that gets mm-hmm. us nowhere. Hmm. Yeah. So we can really see that getting back to the origin of shame in the garden, um, that when Adam and Eve, when they uh, believe the lie that we can't, you can't trust God. Mm-hmm. That was really the essence of the lie is that God, you can't trust God. He's not who he really says he is. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you can become like God. And I think that's really fascinating. The part of the curse of humanity is that there's something within us that if we are not meeting up to our own personal view or expectations of who we are as a God, then we'll fall into shame. So we really have, I think, in the context of the curse of, of sin, which is manifested in shame, toxic shame basically is personally attacks our limitations. It attacks our flaws. It attacks our weaknesses. We, we, don't, we can't accept our disabilities. We, we can't accept that we're finite. Mm. And it's, so I think it really is attached to that sort of mindset of shame mm. really flows from the original curse uh, in the garden mm. um, from Adam and Eve. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the, you're trying to articulate from the Christian perspective, answer that question of where did this come from? Uh, where did this enter into the story of human history? Mm-hmm. And the Genesis 1 and 2 accounts uh, provide that story and say, hey, well, actually, we were created in a state of shamelessness. Um, then there was a moment, mm-hmm. the breach of trust that Adam and Eve committed, you know, resulted in this this moment, this awakening into shame mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, into self-consciousness and realizing, well, now I'm ashamed of my nakedness and yeah. in an attempt to cover that up. Yeah, that's really powerful. I wonder if we can 
continue exploring that idea of where does shame shame comes from. So we've got a we've got a theological explanation or account of it now. But Jen, where do you see shame coming from? Maybe like if that was a thirty thousand foot level, let's take it down to ten thousand feet. Um, in our culture, in your work, um, in your understanding of of you know families, where do you like where do you see shame coming from? I mean, it's shame is is the the response to those those messages that are attacking our identity. Mm. That's where I see it entering in in our everyday. It's it's our response of going, oh, I guess that is really true about me. That really is my identity, and so it's the 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 agreement with us that self rejection that Jeff was talking about, that self contempt um, that latches on to that message, um, and then ruminates on it and focuses on it and um, rejects any positive things that come our way. They're just saying that that's not really true. Mm. Um, it's inconsolable. Shame does that a lot mm. um, where you just can't get in. Like there's not enough positive stuff in the world that would ever contradict the negative messages that, mm-hmm. that shame is just covering us with. Yeah. Um, I think. Where do you see those negative messages coming from the most often in your work? Um, gosh, it can enter in from trauma. Uh, it can enter in from our own failings. We didn't Mm. measure up to what we, some expectation may have entered our mindset at some point in time. Maybe it's a cultural expectation or expectation from parents or expectation within yourself. Like everyone else, grace is available for everybody else, but not for me Mm. because I really hold myself to a higher, I knew better. I knew better. And so anytime we fail, um, even if we are feeling guilt about our failings and mm-hmm. we're like, I did, I made a mistake. You're able to externalize it. You're like, I made a mistake. But then the enemy is so crafty at immediately taking that thought that could be a positive growth moment. I made a mistake. What can I learn from this? Instead, we follow that thought with this nasty little twisting of it that says, I made a mistake because I'm secretly flawed mm-hmm. and there's something wrong with me. And if I was better, I wouldn't have made that mistake. If I was this, that, or the other, then I would have, and the would have, should have, could have jump in there. The, all that kind of stuff happens. And yeah. And as you're describing, that's, you described that so well. And as you were describing it, I'm just seeing flash in my mind, all of these different places where that message, um, like is ubiquitous. I mean, think of, well, families, like family systems, a lot of them are shame-based. You know, the way that that parents try and discipline, you know, their children is very shame-based. I mean, I think about the sports system, sports, I mean, Jeff, you can probably identify it with this. I mean, how many times have you heard of abusive coaches, right? Where shame is a primary tool. Experience. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think of, you know, we're here right next to Camp Pendleton, right? So the military industrial complex that is uh, so vibrant in our country, man, I, I mean, I'm reading an account right now of, of a, a guy who became an army ranger and uh, oh my goodness. I mean, shame is, <laughs> that's like the primary tool the military uses yeah. to break down people's sense of worth and autonomy so they can reprogram them. Yeah. I mean, it's just everywhere. There's yeah. every, uh, I mean, we live in a performance-based society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so really it's like, 
I mean, are there safe spaces? Or when we're asking this question of where does shame come from, is it kind of like, man, it feels, sometimes it feels like there's no place I can go where it's not. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of gets to the hemorrhaging of the soul that you um, talk about, Jeff, that, that it's this, I love how you said this, you've got it written there better, I'm sure, but that slow drip mm-hmm. of, it's like a poison. Yeah. Yeah. A slow drip, drip of negativity, which is right below the surface of our conscious mind that's constantly reminding us and tormenting us on that there's something terribly wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's like it's like having a life sentence in solitary confinement. I mean, that's that's yeah. that is mm. horrendous. Yeah, that we actually and I've been there before. I've had the, I've been in that dark place, in my own shame mm-hmm. of living imprisoned in a cell of my self contempt. Yeah, and and the reality is, I never then when you're in that place of your shame, you never feel whole. You never understand your true identity. Yeah. And uh, sometimes it's, um, it's ironic because what we're longing for the most is to be loved, is to feel like we belong, and we're fighting the message that we mm. don't belong and that we're not loved. And the shame that keeps us spiraling f- continues that narrative. And so shame, our shame response actually makes us disconnect from people. That's right. It makes us pull away. It makes us isolate. So the very thing that we're longing for, shame actually makes it harder to That's even right. go for that. And so n- things that um, help foster shame are secrecy, our silence. When we are feeling shamed, we don't want to bring it to the light. We are ashamed of our shame. Mm, and so yeah. we we even we don't share it with others. So there's a silence element there, um, a secrecy element. Um, and there is... Uh, um, oh gosh, the judgment that goes mm-hmm. along with it. We judge yeah. ourselves and we're afraid that we're perceiving constantly from others that they're judging us. Yeah. And I think that's what you were getting at, Jeff, with your, um, I want to hear more about the um, anticipation of being caught. Because I think that's a very interesting yeah. characteristic of shame. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, and so you, if, you, if you understand, and if any of us who struggle with uh, unhealthy compulsive uh, thought or behavior, um, you know, then that that is driven by a sense of self-deprivation or there's mm-hmm. something wrong with me. And um, so our normal reaction toward uh, if people really knew me, if they really understood me, then they wouldn't like me. So I'm going to work my mm-hmm. darnest to, to stay hidden, yeah. to, to hide. And so that sense of anticipation, uh, that in anticipation is living in this constant shadow, living under the shadow of the fear. It's so, you know, fear-based is shame-based, which le- equals, leads us to performance-based. Yeah. So we're, we're just, we're, we're hyper-vigilant of hiding ourselves from, from that place of being discovered. And so it is, and the irony is that when we try to, in our own strength, work ourselves out of that, that all that does, it continues the chronic bleeding of the drip, 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 reinforcing that no matter, no matter what I do, it's never going to work. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I've tried this or I've done that and I can't seem to get out of, so it just reinforces there's something wrong with me. Oh. Yeah. Anticipation of being caught. Didn't you, in your description, in your book, there's something about a chase, something chasing you, right? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I think what's chasing us is, um, what's chasing us is reality. Hmm. Is what happens? What 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 would happen if I was discovered? Mm-hmm. And so, which only which only fuels uh, the secrecy. Um, but I think it's I think it's interesting is that we find ourselves in, in a survival mentality of not being caught, and it's it really is so it's semi conscious, yeah, and mm. it's part of that deep deep core wound of the of self-contempt yeah if they really knew me they wouldn't love yeah, me yeah that's the message of shame mm. so it, it just it, it's just that's that's why we're talking about it because we that's don't right. want to live there anymore yeah. Yeah. we don't want anyone to live there no child yeah. of god that's not how he designed that's us right mm-hmm. it's the heart and of you're god not is alone. to set us free from that so if you're listening you're not alone at this and i mm. i being a you know Anyone who understands the Enneagram, I'm a three on the Enneagram, <laughs> which, you know, which I'm, my temperament and I'm, my DNA is as an achiever, as a performer. So uh, I'm on this, constantly been on this treadmill and whatever I do is never good enough. Mm-hmm. And so you've always got to keep working at it and that can be really exhausting. Yeah. yeah. A, a different way maybe of framing this idea of the A in shame, anticipation of being caught, a quick personal story. Um you know, when I've tried to work to name and figure out where shame entered into my story, there's two key points. Um, and the first one speaks to the spiritual component that we were talking about earlier. And I grew up in a family where uh, there's charismatic background to my parents' faith stories. And a part of our our family culture was they explained to us the gifts of the spirit and, um, and in particular... They came from a tradition that emphasized uh, tongues, the gift of tongues, right? And so they did a great job of explaining what that that is in a lot of ways. And they described it as a personal prayer language, right? So between you, directly between you and God. Um, and there was this ritual in our family where basically you'd sit in this little chair and the family would gather around and they'd lay hands on you when you kind of reached a certain age and pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit and to receive the gift of tongues. Hmm. So we we do this for my eldest brother. And it works, right? So he gets it. Uh, so it seems. So he, you're saying that he starts speaking in tongues? Yeah. Or, okay. Uh-huh, right. And uh, it's this wonderful moment in the celebration, okay? And then, you know, uh, a year or two later, my elder, elder sister, it's her turn. She sits in the chair. Everybody comes around. My parents rearticulate what it is, invite God, lay hands on, pray. She gets it. I'm up next, right? And I'm looking forward oh to it gosh. because it's this like, wow. oh, well, this is clearly part of what means I belong in the family. It means that like, this is part of what it means to be a Carlson and to be a Christian. And so I sit down in the chair and everybody lays hands on me and start praying. And instead of being filled with what I imagined they were, which is this sense of joy and peace. And then this like, I don't know, the Holy Spirit, like, bubbling over and they are connected to the divine in some amazing transcendent capacity. Instead, no, I feel dread and shame welling up. And eventually Mm. 
I throw everybody's arms off and I'm like, stop, it's not working. It's fine. It's fine. Like I don't get it. And I run upstairs and lock myself in my room and start, mm. start crying. And mm. I, that was the moment where I'm up there crying. And that question that a voice of the accuser comes in and says like, why didn't you get it? Everybody else got wow. it. There must yeah. be something yeah. wrong with you. You must be broken. Yep. You yeah. must not really know God mm. or maybe he is, Maybe he's, you didn't get it because he's angry with you. Yeah. And man, it has taken me, I've spent 30 years trying to figure out where that came from, to name it, and to begin the process of rehabilitating my view of God and my view of self. Yeah. Because it sent me straight into performance too, Jeff. Oh, yeah. I look back now at all, so much of my spiritual journey is defined by this okay, what do I need? I need to know more and then maybe yeah. I'll be acceptable. I need to do more then maybe I'll be acceptable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, the, the anticipation of being caught, I realized that didn't really connect to the A there, but later in my story, um, I had for years a reoccurring nightmare from probably from nine until about 13 that was entirely of this malevolent force that was bent on consuming me and it was chasing me. The mm. entire thing was just being wow. chased. And I, wow. you know, identified later as, oh, this is a shame dream. Yeah. yeah, it's a shame dream. This is a shame dream, wow. you know, and the entire thing is this dreadful anticipation that I'm going to be caught. Mm. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And, not and really. Or not, I'm either going to get caught or I'm going to, um, I will fail again. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to quote, I think this is, might be from Neil Anderson. I love his description mm. of shame and guilt. He says, toxic guilt and toxic shame are fraternal twins, not identical ones, but they are often born from the same legalistic womb. Mm. Mm. They're illegitimate offspring of verbal, emotional, physical, sexual, and spiritual abuse. And I thought about uh, I thought about that in the context that really shame is attached. On one hand, it's attached to some law. Either we know from scriptures, thou shalt not, or the internalization of our own self-laws we create that sets us up for failure. And so I think uh, part of the nature of shame is that shame is in partnership with law, either mm. or s- what we call self commandments. Mm. Uh, Thou shalt not. I should have done this. I must. I must be better at this. Or mm-hmm. um, I got to do. I, I got to do more. Um, so understand that the difference between shame and really the antidote for shame is grace. And we're gonna maybe we'll unpack mm. that a little bit later mm-hmm. on. Is understand that shame is in partnership with the law and and it's under the law which only enhances our shame under grace holiness is contagious under under law thou shalt not but under grace i will provide god is more than able mm. and then under law we're mere sinners but under grace we're full sons and daughters so i think it's important in the spiritual warfare and the spirit, spiritual battle is the redemptive journey of healing is understanding that we no longer live under the law, but we live by the Spirit. And as as we begin to walk in the fullness of God's Spirit, we're going to be more attuned to the voice of the Spirit of God that says, you're my my beloved one. 
Yeah. Mm. It's, um, it's what you're talking about. It's, it's Romans eight. It's right there. Yeah. Romans eight, one. Uh, therefore there is now no condemnation mm. for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death, which is what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why that's one of the things that's distinctive about um, recognizing the voice of shame versus the voice of God, because God's voice is never condemning like that, mm-hmm. whereas the voice of the enemy is condemning. Mm-hmm. Um, Joseph, thanks for sharing that personal story, because yeah, exactly. I, I think... Um, so many of us, it's like this, we deduce a lie from a, a very neutral, like a, just a life experience. And we will walk away with it, concluding some terrible lie that the enemy would love for us to believe that I'm not accepted by God. That's why, that's why this happened to me. I, I, he didn't, something about me is, is flawed enough that he didn't choose me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I always, I think it's, I go to John 10. That's where mm-hmm. I go. Yeah. Okay. Cause you got all these voices speaking to you, influencing you. And it's so important to recognize which voice is coming from where and what does the voice of our savior sound like versus what does the voice of the enemy sound like? And I think that's very helpful in recognizing when what we're dealing with is shame. When the voice that we're ruminating on is shame, mm-hmm. um, we don't want to give it any more ground. And so um, John 10 talks about how um, the sheep know the voice of the shepherd Mm. and they will follow his voice. And uh, they will never follow the voice of the robber or the thief because they don't recognize that voice. And we need to know that the voice of God is never condemning. He never kicks us and stomps on us and kicks more dirt on us. Mm-hmm. And so if that's what's happening to you, if that's the fruit of the, if that's the outcome of the thoughts that you're having in your mind, then I'm telling you right now, it's not the voice of the Lord. Yeah. Um, there's the John 10, 10 test. It says the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. If the voice that you're hearing um, is causing more isolation, more destruction, more disconnect to steal, kill, and destroy, which is what you're talking about, Jeff, with um, the emotional paralysis that shame causes. If you are now stunted and um, experiencing death in your relationships, death of your soul, death of the depression, the the trappings of addiction, the the suicidal thoughts, all these things Mm -hmm. that that shame um, cultivates... Yeah. That is not the voice of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. That is the voice of the thief. Um, Jesus's voice is one that gives life. Yeah. So even when we're convicted of something that we have done wrong, that's that guilt piece. Even mm-hmm. when we are feeling like, oh, I really did mess up. Jesus might call our attention to that, but he reaches out his hand to us and lifts us up. He says, I see you, you fell, you stumbled, but here's my hand. I'm lifting you up. Let's try again. Yeah. The voice of shame, the voice of the enemy sees you down on the ground after stumbling and he goes, ha, you deserve to be down there and kicks more dirt on you. Yeah, yeah. So if that's what you're experiencing, that's the voice of the enemy, you need to know that Jesus' voice is lifting out his hand to you and raising you back up, giving you another chance, Mm -hmm. bringing you into connection and belonging. That's one way you can tell a distinction. This is the way Mm -hmm. out of shame. The condemnation 
does not result in transformation, right? I mean, Romans right. 2 talks about how it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, yeah. right? Yeah. His kind invitation, that yeah. kind, that image, that great image, Jen, of the, the hand reaching down to lift us up mm-hmm. and right. to gently say, hey, it's, it's okay. Like, join me, come, mm-hmm. you know, take my burden, take yeah. my yoke. It's easy. Yeah. It's, it's light. It's yeah. not, it's not going to grind you down into the muck. That's, that's so good. Yeah. Um, well, Jeff, that's the the next letter in your shame acronym here. As we're defining shame and exploring it, some is M. What's yes. it? Talk to so us. So that's uh, that's the the shame is multi generational. So in the scripture, it even talks about the sins of the fathers are passed down to second and third generation. So, and we can go all the way back to our forefathers, Adam and Eve. We can see that 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 shame was birthed out of their own disobedience. Then that 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 sense of our of our uh, old self or fallen nature, the DNA of our fallen nature is uh, is manifested and expressed and really identified in, in our shame. And so shame, historically and generationally, shame begets shame that begets shame, and it's passed down from one generation to the next. And I know you alluded to the fact that even certain cultures have a propensity of being more shame-based, which I'm not sure we'll be able yeah. to get to right now, but... But I think what I like is understanding that as we understand understand who God really is, is we can look back at the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, they believed the lie from the enemy, is way back when, it, and it says in Genesis 3, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked and ashamed. So that was the first mm-hmm. exposure and the reality of of humanity of the birth of shame, and so what did they do? So they hid. Remember, we talked about we talked about that they hid, um, and uh, through the anticipate anticipation anticipation of being caught, and it says they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, this is really, I really like God's approach to this. This is really reveals to us the nature and the grace of God. The Lord God called to, to the man, and we, he didn't condemn them. As Jen, we were just talking about the nature of the enemies to bring condemnation. But God pursues us in our shame. Mm. He pursues us in our sin graciously. He's, he's the constant pursuer of our lives. While we're pushing away from because we feel in our self-contempt, we don't deserve it. But he's always pursuing us. And how did he respond to that? He asked him a question. Where are you? So he's inviting, and whether you're listening to this right now, um, is that God is inviting you to self-examination, for you to discover where are you and where does shame fit into your own consciousness and how you've dealt with your failures and how you look at yourself. Mm-hmm. Is God is here in, in grace. He's He's asking you to empower you to discover where are you, and then later on, He's uh, He that uh, Adam then said that I was afraid, and so I hid. And the Lord said, "Well, who told you? Who told you that you were naked?" And so again, God is inviting us to self discovery and to take responsibility. He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't attack us. He invites us into relationship with ourselves and, a, and relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think when you mentioned the multi-generational nature of shame, uh, I immediately think of, you know, the field of family systems dynamics and, in uh, psychology and uh, does anybody know enough in this, in this triad to talk, to talk about that? You know, I mean, when I think of multi-generational nature of shame, I, I immediately think of the alcoholic, you know, um, and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get to, we, we can explore that in depth when we go to our chapter on addiction. <laughs> um, but that's just probably, to me, that's the most obvious example of the multi-generational nature of shame, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, in an addicted family system, that's the shameful family secret that everybody works to protect and it, and it Mm -hmm. malforms each successive generation. And we see, right. It's like, well, if if addiction is in your family system, it's likely going to show up. If not in every generation, you know, it may skip a generation, Mm -hmm. but you know, we, we see it. uh, And then I, I actually, the next thing that comes to mind too, is the, you know, in the field of epigenetics too, we're beginning to understand and see that, that shame and trauma like can be passed down through our mm. DNA, right? So these yeah. traumatic yeah. events that deeply impact our physiolo- physiology, yeah. impact us at a genetic level. Yeah. And that is something that is then passed down yeah. to the kid. I mean, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. And le- learned behaviors too. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, if they're, if you're growing up in a system of addiction, then yes, you might learn secrecy and things like that. But there's also, I mean, if you watched a parent who constantly beat themselves up after yeah. every failing or whenever they, they perceived that they didn't measure up and you saw them have a have an internal script of self-condemnation, yeah. um, you, you learn that. You mm-hmm. learn that trait from them and you deduce that's, that's what we all do. And, and that's normal. And that's normal. And so you too start to learn to beat yourself up. Um, I don't know if you grow up in a home of, with a critical spirit, Mm. Uh, somebody's, you know, that critical constantly, that little critic always voicing what you could have gotten done better, what you could have done, all these little things. Mm -hmm. And then that gets passed on and you find that you're doing it with your own kids. Um, that's the multi-generational learned behavior here. And Jen, how often have... Um, have we sat with couples uh, who are in crisis and as they begin to unpack and know their own story is realizing um, that they brought into the marriage, they're, they're carrying with them the shame from their own family of origin. And so that family system of shame is then creates the script and creates the narrative of their own marriage. And then through time is that shame based mentality through guilt or shame or condemnation, which then we're, that's manifest in escaping, hiding, perfectionism, compulsive behavior, criticalness, is then we pass that on to our children. Yep. And we're, we're so unaware that that is, that is the nature of shame. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, because shame is so um, unpleasant on its own. That, so it's, it's, it's got its roots in some deep down lie about our worth and our identity. And so it's a, it's a primary coping that we all do. Um, but then in and of itself, we try and run from it. And so then we have copings to cover up our coping. Mm-hmm. Um, just like you're saying there, Jeff, uh, that's the, that's why we want to break out of shame. So yeah. it's that negative feedback loop, you know, yeah. if you've ever mm-hmm. been to a rock concert or something, you know, and you can, you hear, you know, that, that sonic feedback loop that between microphone and amplifier that just 
increases and continues to dominate until it, you know, it's the only thing that you can hear. That sounds a lot like emotional paralysis, yeah. which is our final wow. letter yeah. in the acronym, right? So talk to me about emotional paralysis. What, how do you define that? So emotional paralysis is really, uh, it, it, it is manifested in our trauma. So the origin when it comes to our humanity and our family system is that we see the birth of shame, which is passed on from generation to generation, is either um, reenacted or it's created in, in personal trauma, attachment injuries, abuse, um, uh, betrayal, things of that nature. And so when we talk about emotional paralysis, it, it, what it is, is emotional paralysis is the, the symptom of unhealed traumas um, from our family of origin. And it, it's, it's the trauma that keeps us in the cycle, as you, were, as you referred to, uh, Joseph, is the cycle of our pain cycle and how shame keeps us locked into the prison of, that has its origin from self-contempt, self-rejection that we're projecting on other people. They, if I don't like myself, then that means other people don't like me as well. So, so that emotional paralysis is a symptom and then it can be manifested in always making us feel unloved or unsafe. Mm -hmm. so, so emotional paralysis is that place where in our shame, we become so emotionally, psychologically disconnected from ourselves. We call that being split in mm -hmm. our humanity, in our psycho psychological perspective, um, that then we operate out of numbness, disassociating, um, and that is also the door to addictive behavior. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, that's. Um, I think emotional paralysis is one of the major dominant characteristics of shame. Mm -hmm. And you know, as you're talking, Jeff, I was thinking about um, that fear of being caught, fear of being found out. If they really knew me, then they wouldn't love me either. And 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 what you're saying about the emotional paralysis, um, this idea that all of that feeds into this idea that I can't be vulnerable. I can't yes. really let anyone yeah, see me. I right. can't really engage. And vulnerability mm -hmm. is our connection. That is, it take in order to grow, to grow emotionally, to grow in life, it takes vulnerability mm. and shame shuts down vulnerability. And so that's part of why shame fosters emotional paralysis because yeah. it, it shuts down the vulnerability that it does take to connect with people and to grow yeah. and to um, experience the fullness of emotions and growth. Um, and so it's uh, shame is the beast that if the more you have it, the more it feeds itself and it just yeah. turns mm -hmm. into this inward spiral that disconnects you um, so, more and more. Yeah, Jen, you're, so you're really getting into... Um, what's the remedy? Yeah. How do we overcome? I mean, we're spending all this time about shame. It's just, what a great topic. The key is how do we get out of this? Yeah. And how do we discover this, this beautiful redemptive journey of God's love for us that can transfer us, can deliver us from shame to a place of, of understanding that we're God's beloved in his grace. And so I think, um, that sense of it takes courage to be vulnerable. And I, the, and I believe that the, the first step of overcoming 
shame is we have to we have to identify and recognize the destructive voice of shame. Mm-hmm. We need to have we need to have the courage to to, um, to sit and reflect and to be aware of of those those feelings and those voices in us that come out of our this place mm-hmm. of woundedness of self contempt. Yeah. So I think the first step of the healing process is we need to first recognize and face the destructive voice of shame. Yeah, yeah. catch it. Recognize yeah. that's not the Lord's voice. That's mm-hmm. not God's voice. Uh, that's the voice of the enemy. It's, it's learning what God's voice sounds like, learning what his voice does not sound like, yeah. and catching those thoughts that come across our mind and calling mm-hmm. them what mm-hmm. they are. And, and that's incredibly powerful. What you're saying, Jeff, to be able to call a lie a lie yeah. is huge. You know, I've got a man. I'm just in. I'm in personal story mode today. Uh, I love it. But, but I've got a, a quick one um, in this first step in the healing process to be able to identify the voice of shame and or identify its behavior and its characteristics. Right. We spent so much time trying to define it because so often it's become normative for us that we don't we begin to accept it as reality mm-hmm. this reality distortion is the true reality and we we can't even see it anymore it becomes almost invisible because it's so baked in so i i've struggled with depression uh, anxiety addiction that's all part of my story and background there's a, a few years ago this is probably six years ago maybe um i was pouring my sad sad little heart out to one of the pastors here at the church nick gilmore and he was wonderfully and patiently sitting with me. And uh, he began to talk about the spiritual component of shame. Because he's, rec- I was fully, I was fully in shame. I was just sitting there like talking about what a fraud and an imposter I am and how mm. I'm never going to be able to change and break out of these things that, that cause me, these behaviors and these ways of thinking that cause me to uh, experience shame. And he stopped. He's like, hey, you know, like, well, you can't be too hard on yourself because there's a spiritual component. And I was like, I don't know about that. And he's like, well, just do me this favor. Okay. The next time you're feeling this way, next time you're really down, can you just p- try and pay attention, special attention to the voices in that you're hearing inside of you and identify which uh, person they're using. So first person, second person, third person, you know, first person mm-hmm. is I, second person is you, third person is they, we, Right. And, uh, he's like, just do that. And then come back and, you know, and like, tell me what you find next week. And man, it was like a light bulb went off. I realized that when I was in shame, I, the most, most often I was not saying that, well, I feel bad about, I feel sad. I feel it was Carlson. You're a piece of shit. Mm. Or it was, it was the, the, you, you are never going to change, man. When are you going to, when are you going to grow up, dude? And it's, uh, mm. as you said, Jen, that is not the voice of God, right? That right there. And once, once I was able to see that it mainly was happening in the second person voice, I was like, oh, I don't have to identify. That's not the true me. That's something else. Whether that's, you know, like we mentioned, all the different yeah. origins of it, whether that's spiritual or emotional, societal, whatever, but it's not me. Yeah, it's not my true good. self. So that's really, I love what Nick led you into the, this process of steps, taking steps of getting set free from shame. And, and what I'm hearing you're saying that the really first step, and first we have to recognize the voice of shame, and then we have to 
attach words to those tormenting feelings. Mm. Is we need to we need to attach words because when we attach words to it, it's bringing it, it's bringing those emotions out of darkness by giving them words. It, then we can consciously take authority and begin to identify those feelings that are attached to our lies, which then then leads to the the second step of overcoming shame, and that is learning how to refute the lies of the past. Mm-hmm. And so how do we do that is what you just shared in your own story, Joseph, is reframing, uh, is reframing our thinking. Uh, it establishes an alliance with the mind of Christ. So we, mm-hmm. so we have to reframe our thinking by then uh, attaching our feelings and our thoughts to understanding, but what does Christ say about us? Mm-hmm. What is his mind that we need to embrace, as the Bible says, that, that we're to walk in the mind of Christ? Yeah. Catch that thought, mm-hmm. that negative thought, that toxic thought that's driving you into shame. Call a lie a lie, and then say, what is the truth? What does Jesus say? Even if you can't believe it for yourself, if you don't have it in you yet, mm-hmm. at least say, what does God say about yeah. this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What does yeah. Jesus say about this? And at least you can agree with that. And say, okay, and that's exactly what you're saying, Jeff, refute that message Mm -hmm. that you're getting, that Mm -hmm. refute that lie. I call it confronting it Mm -hmm. or challenge it and say, actually, I don't have to agree with this lie anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I actually want to align myself with the word of God. Mm -hmm. I'm going to align myself, even for the next five minutes. That's right. For the next just few moments, I'm going to choose to agree with what God says versus what the enemy says. Mm -hmm. And that alone... Even if it's for five minutes, you have carving. You are carving a new pathway in your brain that's not agreeing with the enemy. It's agreeing with the Holy Spirit, and that's incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are begin the work of rewiring that's our right. brains, of renewing our minds, of breaking out of this toxic cycle. Yeah. And so, challenging that lie with the truth and choosing to align ourselves with the truth mm-hmm. is is just everything. It is the road to freedom. Mm, that's good. That was a great description of for the astute listener or somebody who's in a skills class. They were pro- you're probably sitting there saying to yourself, hey, they're describing the four steps. That's the pain and peace cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, identify the lie, identify the, the coping mechanism or behavior, then identify the truth that we can yeah. then combat the lie mm-hmm. with and then step into new behavior, into yeah. freedom. So let's keep talking about the path to freedom, Jeff. Yeah, so the, and we're just gonna, I'm just reiterating what you're saying is so we have we have to first recognize and and uh, become aware of the voice of the enemy through shame. We need to then refute, attach those feelings to words that describe the lies that we bought into, and a lot of those lies have taken deep root within our conscious, within our soul, and actually we've embodied it mm-hmm. since childhood. We're not even aware of. And so as you said, then we personalize it and we take ownership of it as though that's who we are. And now what we're doing is we're having to make that distinction. That's not who you are. So then we have to refute the lies of the past, Mm -hmm. as you said, Jen, and we need to name it. We need to take responsibility and we need to break the alliance with our old nature that it's attached to the law and to the enemy. And we need to establish a new alliance with the mind of Christ. Mm -hmm. And then the third process stuff is I learn to reframe my thinking mm-hmm. is we have to reframe by bringing in the truth 
uh, in beginning to establish and take authority over the enemy's lies by declaring the truth of who I am in Jesus, that I am his beloved, mm-hmm. that I am his, I am his son, mm-hmm. I'm, uh, that um, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that I am chosen. We can go on and on mm-hmm. and on of I am mm-hmm. in the context of the kingdom of God and our new nature and who we are in yeah. Jesus. Mm. And then that fourth step, if you're going with the four steps mm-hmm. that we that you might be learning in the skills classes, is when you really receive that truth, when you believe that truth, when you choose to believe that truth and align yourself with that, it changes your behavior, not out of a forced white knuckling change mm-hmm. of behavior, but out of the fruit of the spirit. Like when I'm resting in the truth that I am actually lovable and it's okay that I'm human. I can have self-compassion mm-hmm. instead of shame. The, the new behavior comes. Instead of shaming myself, I can, um, instead of self-contempt, I can have self-kindness. Mm. I can have grace for myself. That's I right. can actually laugh. Yes. I can say, oh, this was an accident and it's okay because I'm human and I was never created to be anything but human. Mm-hmm. He didn't design me to be Superman. That's I'm right. I'm supposed to be human. Yeah. Oh, and you know what? Everybody everybody goofs sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So even then I can learn from this. I didn't, And that spiral of shame doesn't have to kick in. It doesn't have to start because right. I, I can rest in the knowledge that I'm still fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm still lovable. And knowing those things, it can, it, there's fruit that comes out of the truth. And the fruit is a gentleness with ourselves, mm-hmm. um, a, a, a self-forgiveness, um, joy. I mean, yeah. you can laugh and, and you can connect with others. Instead of hiding, you engage, you open up, you bring into the light, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. Um, reconcile, you forgive, you reconnect. All those things happen as a, as a natural outflowing when we really rest in the truth of who God says we are in what he has done for us mm-hmm. in how he has shaped the world and our place in it. Yeah. You know, I want to try and can, I want to try, okay, bear with me because this isn't fully developed, but as you're describing that, Jen, um, the, the parable of the sower began to come to mm. my mind. And uh, I love what a powerful and a simple illustration that maybe is for some of what we're talking about here, you know, um, not to get too explicit, but there's different types of soils, right? There's, there's the hard path where the seed bounces off, right? That seed, what could it represent? The truth of who we are, the truth of who God is. Mm -hmm. He is not this angry, um, sky deity who's waiting to punish you. Instead, he's a loving father who longs to, to draw close, um, to lift you up, to make your burdens light and to, to reaffirm your belovedness. Um, so the, that seed of truth, well, I mean, when we're in shame, it just bounces off that, that ricochets off that like hard, hardened heart or hardened soil, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then there's maybe we've we've taken a few steps on the healing journey and, and we've got some shallow soil mm-hmm. where maybe if it does take root, but if we're not diligent in practicing the four steps, if we're mm-hmm. not diligent in naming, like as you said, Jeff, the bringing language and vocabulary to our experiences, if we're not diligent in mining our stories to discover those places where those violations of love and trust, where those core false beliefs have entered into our story and we made that agreement, well then that it's, it's going to wither, right? It's not going to do what I heard you describing, which is we get to the, the good soil, right? The soil where, 
we have cultivated it over time in partnership with God to remove those rocks, pull out the stumps, whatever. Mm -hmm. So when the truth is firmly planted there, what does it do? It blossoms and it produces Mm -hmm. the good fruit of the new actions, right? So these, these new actions become this natural expression, this overflow of the truth of who we are and who God is. I'd like, is it okay if I, I'd like to just read the last paragraph of my chat of the chapter of shame in my book that kind of brings to, uh, brings us to the conclusion and brings us to a place of hope. Yeah. And, and, and if it's okay, I, let's hear I, it. Jeff. Yeah, so we'll allow it. My, <laughs> so I said, one of my favorite Psalms that repels the voice of shame is Psalms 103, one through three. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. I love that. Who forgives, who forgives all of your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. And then I wrote down, let us be forgiveness conscious. Mm. In other words, let us be kind to ourselves as yeah. you were sharing, Jennifer. Let us be forgiveness conscious, not sin conscious. Because forgiveness precedes deliverance and healing of all your diseases. And I, I remember Henry Nowen said that why is the body of Christ so important? Because we need to learn how to practice forgiveness. And he says the number one thing we need to learn to forgive ourselves or forgive each other of is we need to forgive each other for not being God. <laughs> I love that. Mm-hmm. Because in our in our shame is we project um, a real false narrative and false view of humanity that we're easily set up for disappointment of projecting unrealistic expectations, which creates unmet expectations. And I love, he says, we need to forgive each other. We're not God. Yeah. None of us is perfect. I know. No one's perfect. And that's why God says, I'm the one. I'm I'm here to meet all your needs in Christ Jesus. So... Continue, says, I want to encourage you. I said, I want to encourage you to receive fresh revelation that you have been set free by thanking God for his finished work of the cross. It is time, and I just want to speak this to all of, of our listeners, it is time that we stop hurting ourselves. Jesus was hurt for all of our sins. It is time that we stop beating ourselves up from past mistakes. And failures, because Jesus has taken on himself all of our punishment. Now is the time that we eliminate self-hate and embrace God's goodness and righteousness. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Mm. So I just, that's kind of, I believe all of us want that to leave with our listeners this exhortation, this encouragement that we need we need not beat up on ourselves. We don't need to go to a place of self-contempt because Christ, his work on the cross is the solution and has provided for us the resources to live in that place as God's beloved. Yeah. Mm. Well said, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. Man, you should write a book. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, one last thing before, uh, Jen, I want you to, uh, I want you to close us. Uh, is just a real practical one. When we were talking about breaking free from shame, you, Jeff, mentioned uh, we got to change our mindsets. You know, we got to change our spiritual perspective. Um, but the, for some of us and for some of our listeners too, there's a 
we need, we might need to change our circumstances. You know, you may, um, if you're going to break free from shame, you might need to change your living situation, you know, because maybe you're living in an abusive mm. space, right? That's going to perpetuate shame and is, and wants to keep you trapped there. And then in the, like in the religious context, because, you know, part of our hope here is to be a, this podcast to be a source of renewal and a corrective to some of the unhealthy patterns of spirituality that the church, the Western church has perpetuated, you know, um, if you are in an abusive or a shame-based, you know, spiritual community, uh, th- there's options. You you can you have, have a choice. You have a choice, and you have permission um, to leave and to find a healthier one. And mm-hmm. you may be you may be shamed for doing that, but uh, man, there's there's freedom, there's community, there's acceptance um, in other places that can be found. Mm-hmm. Mm. Grace is real. Yeah. And it's for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I'll just going to close us with Ephesians 3 Mm. as a blessing over all of us. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's awesome. Mm. There you go, friends. Amen. I received that blessing, Jen. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. Friends, so appreciate your your wisdom, your insight, uh, you know, your vulnerability and courage as always. So we'll be back. What's the next what's the next topic we're gonna renewing cover? Renewing your mind. Right. So continuing the pathway out of <laughs> out of shame. How do we renew our minds? So we'll we'll dive into some uh, some fun practical stuff, some interesting Uh, neuroscience findings that Jeff has dug up and uh, it'll be great. So we'll see you guys next episode. (laughs) Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you have questions or need help or for more information about how to take the next step in your healing journey, please feel free to email us at ftlpod at northcoastcalvary.org or head over to the relationshipresource.org to learn about what classes, and resources are available to support you. A big thanks to North Coast Calvary Chapel and the Relationship Resource for making this podcast possible. Our podcast was directed and produced by Joseph Carlson and edited by Nate King. Original music by the one and only Brian McMaster. <laughs>